Hey there DC fans, this is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find you got books collectibles uh, pop-up greeting cards they have all kinds of amazing items and right now you can get 35 percent off site-wide by using the code DC news 35 that's DC N E W S 35 DC news 35 use that code and receive 35 percent off site-wide at insighteditions.com Welcome one and all to episode 117 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I am your host, uh, Brad Flicky, and with me today is the one, the only, Seth Singleton. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and I'm not alone. My neighbors are having a party, and there is a dog barking. So at some point, you're going to hear that, and maybe my dog's joining in. A chorus of no, rough, rough. Right. <laughs> so happy to be with you, man. I just brought some unexpected friends. What can I say? Nice, nice. So we have a lot of news to get into today. Uh, some movie news, TV streaming, and of course some comic book news. Uh, but uh, up first we've had some sad news with the uh, passing of John Paul uh, Leon. Uh, what was your What was your take on this? I mean, I do have to look, you know, this is something that we have dealt with far too often on this podcast uh, in the past year alone, seeing some amazing figures, just titans of the industry and losing them is always a sad reminder of just, you know, how much you want to say you accomplish before your time is up. And I, I think one of the great things about this story is just how many people spoke on his behalf, you know, letting people know that John Paul Leon was a creator who was recognized by so many for the excellence in his craft. Um, people saying he's one of the greatest artists of our generation. Uh, Tom King, you know, calling him a uh, comic book humanist, grounded the inherent absurdity of conveying myth and story. I mean, really just a, a testament to the amount of work that he did, the quality of the work that he did, and the the way the community responded by saying, we saw what you did and were immensely proud of all of the work that you left behind. I, I think if you're going to be a creator and put yourself out in the public like that, it, it's a pretty amazing acknowledgement when once your time has come and you're no longer here that the public's response to the work you left behind is often as much a testament to who you are as to the personal stories family and friends will be sharing as well what did you think my friend yeah yeah you you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one um that it is such a tribute to his legacy that so many so many other great creators and you know people in the industry came out and you know gave their 
support and uh, condolences. Uh, you know, I I loved his work on Sheriff of Babylon, and you know, um, with what I think it was Universe X that he did for Marvel, and you know, just you know, he, um, it's just such a shame. And he he was he was pretty young too, so it's just it's it's quite a blow. Um, you know, I, his style seemed to me very um, influenced by some of the stuff that we would see in Vertigo in uh, in, in uh, the 90s. And I always loved that style. So I always liked his work. So it was just, you know, it was just such a shame. So uh, we, we all here give uh, our condolences to uh, to his family and friends in the uh, in the industry at large. And with that sad bit of news, we're going to move on to uh, to some movie news. Uh, here's a little bit of interesting tidbit here is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is still up to play a Flashpoint uh, Batman. What's your take on this? I guess when it comes to a story like this, if it was me and I was the actor, I would never want to give up my pitch. <laughs> I, I would I would play young Batman, middle-aged Batman, aging Batman, senile decrepit Batman. I'm like just give me the cape and the cowl. Let me hang out in the mansion. You can even put me in that crazy, you know, iron cage, you know, um uh, artificial exoskeleton back spine thing that they gave Kevin Conroy in uh, <laughs> Crisis and and then I remember being such a big part of Kingdom Come, you know, this whole thing of like he's so broken, machines are holding me. <laughs> I'll take right, it. Right. I'll be that. Right? So I kind of get why Jeffrey D. Morgan's like, I, I still want it. I still want it. And I love the fact that, you know, he's also like, sure. And did I mention Lobo? So I love the fact that he's like, one, I'm still in it. Two, I could also be persuaded to take on these other characters who are also iconic and also, I mean, actually Lobo, I could totally see him as actually, I could see him a lot more as Lobo than I can mm-hmm. Batman. It's just me. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do love the fact that he's like, Hey, until it's confirmed that I'm not it. Uh, yeah. I still want to be it. What <laughs> would you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very playful. And uh, yeah, and and I agree. Why wouldn't he want to be? And the thing is, too, is that uh, these days, thanks to, you know, him playing Negan and all the Supernatural fans, uh, his his name is is pretty big. So that would be a draw in and of itself that he was he was part of it. And, you know, I I would like to see uh, see what he would do as a Flashpoint Thomas Wayne Batman. But that's an interesting point, too, that you bring up that I, I could see him playing Lobo. That might actually make me like the character a little better. <laughs> uh, that might be a little bit of some inspired casting right there. <laughs> yeah, I think also he's got kind of like that great world weary look to his eyes. Like he can really sort of just be like, you know, I didn't choose this life. <laughs> and then go into one of those beautiful monologues about being the last Cesarnian and, you know, what it means to... And also, man, I was reading uh, Omega Men recently and just seeing how he originally appeared. Like, you could really have some fun with, like, you know, when I first started out, I was one of those skin-tight leotard kind of guys and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now, you know, what can I say? The road takes a toll on everybody. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is he did something humanizing Negan that I didn't think would be possible in a live-action, you know, live-action setting. I thought that, it, you know, in the comic, that worked 
but I, I thought that was going to be really hard to pull off in the show. And he managed to do it. So I think he could bring kind of, a, uh, dare I say, humanity to, uh, to Lobo. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, DC, once again, if you're listening, pay attention because we have some good ideas over here. So We're basically giving them away. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you pay somebody else for this stuff, and we're just like, well, well take the idea, whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and up next in our news is that uh, it looks like DC is looking for a uh, black actor and director for the Superman reboot. And this is something that we've talked about. You know, as far as my, I know, Michael P. Jordan. So, uh, what was your take on this? Well, I, I think it's um, a really smart decision. I think, I think the idea of doing a reboot. I, I think the word reboot really is like a uh, what's the phrase that's so often used? Like a dog whistle kind of term for a lot of people. Like it really just triggers them in a way. You know what I mean? Like you get this feeling that people hear reboot and they think like, oh, well, you just don't care about the original. It's like, no, actually that has nothing to do with it. While I appreciate your, you know, fear of the unknown or whatever. uh, (laughs) Really what I think is the opportunity for Warner to double down on this concept that it's, looking to embrace with things like Flashpoint, which is if it's an omniverse, then it all counts. It's all possible. So where's the problem? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a DC fan. I would happily go see a Superman movie with Henry Cavill and five days later go see a new quote-unquote reboot um, starring a black Superman, whichever version they choose to use, with a black director and totally spend my money on both. Or if they do HBO max, which I'm totally fine with because I've become more of a hermit since 2020. It's not like I was already like out there running around everywhere, but it became so much easier for me to be this, like I stay indoors and life's great. Uh, (laughs) And I don't have to feel guilty or justified. So I would happily watch both of those movies back to back and cheer them both and, and love all of it. I feel like there's this like whole either or mentality from a lot of folks. And even if it goes that direction, I, I think it's a really smart move. I mean, you could tap into some fun stuff, whether you get into that, you know, that whole other league that, say, Val Zod is a part of and Captain Carrot and you know, <laughs> like yeah. some really wonderful stuff. Or you could tell a really powerful story. Just capture the idea and and change the narrative by just shifting the lens shifting the degrees of you know viewpoint and then there you go here's a superman story so i think you can kind of have the best of all the worlds you want and i don't know who would complain about that I, i've heard some stuff i've seen some stuff i've even said some stuff <laughs> in some places and you know the, the the hardest thing it seems to be is that some people are like but it feels like they're just doing it because um, they can or because they're being pressured to, which I I think is a really negative take. And um, I've also heard some really just ugly terms like blackwashing and stuff like that, which feel really like they're just designed to, you know, distract from what the actual conversation is. Telling a new Superman story, telling it in an original way and bringing in the best talent to do it. That's that's my take on this story. It sounds like a really smart idea. It sounds like something I want to see. Well, what about you? Yeah, as far as um, feeling pressure to or blackwashing, that's to me, that's just that's just nonsense. And, you know, because 
comic fans now, or I, I shouldn't even say comic fans, I should say movie fans, superhero movie fans, are way more open to things than they were. What you know, as far as even playing with continuity and the idea of multiverses and things like that. So that argument is just dumb because people accept these things now that it doesn't like you can have different supermans and to really shut them up you know what just make a good movie that's what it comes down to um and with tanashi Coates writing the script it's it's i can tell you that pretty confidently that at least we're going to have a really good script so, you know, we'll see who, who directs it, but the script is going to be good. So you don't have to worry about that at this point. And one thing that kind of I – with all the talk about Michael P. Jordan and how kind of perfect I think he would be in that role, it, it totally slipped my mind that it is kind of a um, a habit or a norm to find kind of unknown – or lesser-known actors to play the roles. Um, to me, Henry Cavill wasn't very well-known. Brandon Routh wasn't well-known. Um, I forget his name, who's in Superman and Lois now. But, you know, they, they Tom oh, Willow, we'll Tyler talk about Huckland. in a minute. Yeah, you're right, exactly. So those actors really weren't known before they took the role. So getting an, an, an unknown actor for a black Superman seems to make sense, too. So, yeah, I mean, this is... This could be really interesting to see how this all develops and how, you know, how that cookie crumbles to see who who gets the role and who directs and, you know, just how that all comes together. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that in the weeks and months ahead. So that should be should be interesting. And speaking of uh, actors and Superman, uh, Tom Welling would play Superman uh, opposite. Uh, Robert Pattinson in a Batman movie. Uh, what do you think of this? I love that once you've played an iconic character, the only thing you have to say to set people buzzing is, yeah, I think that would be cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm reading through this story, yeah. and the main takeaway is, yeah, I think that would be cool. Probably, you know, he's a buddy, and he's going to be the new Batman. It would be a lot of fun if I just showed up. And you're just like, yeah. really? That's, And I think that's the big difference between, you know, what what happens when people hear Tom Welling say it compared to Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Like, if you've already been the character and, and solidified the image in the minds of people, it's so easy for them to go back to it and take all that history of whatever you've done and, you know, sort of put that up against what we're anticipating the Batman to be. And then what that portrayal can lead to with a pair up of Welling and Pattinson. I mean, it seems like a really smart move because... I've loved the recent Batman Superman series. Uh, I think there's a lot of wonderful material they could play with, a lot of great stories. And come on, they don't call them world's finest for nothing. Like they've been <laughs> the, uh, the the amazing duo ever since they first teamed up. So I, I love the idea of putting the two of them together. Um, it, it feels a bit more like uh, it's a lot of hope based on just some really brief references. Like it'd be like, Hey, would you like to go back and be this amazing character playing, you know, with all the energy of this new character? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh my God, he saved me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Brett? Yeah, like news but not news kind of thing with this one. But um, you know, I I would be I would think it would be fun. I mean, I I I always like Smallville, and I think 
everything that has transpired with the Nexium cult and Allison Mack, uh, it, it leaves such a stain uh, on that legacy of that show. And it, this would, I think, just give it a little bit of of redemption, because at this point, the only real flag waver you have for the show is Michael Rosenbaum, who has a podcast who still talks about Smallville. Uh, all the time, you know, so it would be just for that fact, it would be fun to see it. And I didn't realize that they were friends. And Tom, you know, Tom Welling certainly hasn't taken a lot of acting roles since. So it would kind of be fun to see him come back into the role in some way, but I really doubt it's going to happen. But it would be kind of funny to do a little cameo of some sort that would be that might not be too much to ask so yeah you know we'll, we'll see it's it's the omniverse so anything can happen <laughs> yeah exactly in fact you know what you remind me when we were talking about how you hadn't seen i can't remember i think it's hecklin tyler hocklin or hecklin yeah. who's playing the new the current superman i first saw him as a kid in Road to Perdition, he plays Tom Hanks. Oh, son. he did. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize, but I was looking See, at his face. You learn something every day. This guy. And I looked him up yeah. on IMDb, and I, I saw it. And my wife and I had just watched. Like, I would gotten her to watch it with me. And it's such a gorgeous movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's yeah. one of those, like, perfect examples of being like, this is how you make a comic book movie based on a comic. I, I don't know what else to tell you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is how you – but, you know, I'm just reminded that – and then I didn't see him for – you know, almost 20 years after that movie came out. And now he's Superman. So I think it could be anyone playing anyone. Just to pile on there for a minute, because we're just having a bit of fun with Superman, Batman talk. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, moving on from the Superman talk, uh, looks like we've got our first look at the Black Adam set through a Instagram post by uh, one of the stunt doubles. Uh, what do you think of this? I can tell you right now, I have already gone to this person's Twitter, which this link in the story goes to, to pull up the images more clearly. And one, um, I love the temple. I, mm. I love the, the look of the dress, which in color is phenomenal. Like, wow, that is just it's classy, but it's also very chic. It looks very, you know, fashion avant-garde and all that. Um, which, yeah, I'm sure I just butchered all of that. And trust me, Flicky Fashions here can <laughs> correct me when he's, you know, Please. feeling it or not. <laughs> no, I don't need to correct you. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's all right, man. Hey, I'm just dropping it in there, Flicky Fashion. It's coming. One day. It's, it's, it's yeah. coming. Yeah. But um, I love the fact that now that I'm following this person, I can't wait to hear more because this is the stunt performer who's doubling for Adriana Tomas, which for me just says Isis, Isis, Isis. And, you know, ever since we had Josh on that time, we were talking about and he planted the idea of whether or not they would set it back in the uh, 40s with the original JSA. And I keep trying to figure out which way they're going to end up going because the 52 version was a more modern take. Some of the characters are talking about, like Adam Smasher, those guys were like Nuclon taking on somebody's identity. You know what I mean? But we're all playing in the Momniverse. So it all feels like this sort of like smorgasbord where I have no idea. But these pictures are very exciting. I love a good set photo. Um, man, that's my take. What do you think? Yeah, I I kind of dug it. But, you know, I think that the, the only drawback, and of course, this was going to happen, I mean, they wouldn't be able to post it if it gave a lot of stuff away like you know 
if it was in the 40s or not. So, you know, as far as the background in the temple, we always kind of knew that it was going to be Egyptian influence. So the idea of a temple being in there seems, you know, you know, that tracks, as they say. But the <laughs> dress, <laughs> but the dress was, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. The dress was was cool. It gets the flicky fashions approval. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I keep coming coming back to the fact with this one is that I'm just so happy that the production is moving forward because this one was kind of caught in development hell for a long time, but um, it, it looks like it's moving full steam ahead. So um, it's just great to see little, you know, more news and, and, and photos coming from the set. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. And uh, next up, this is interesting, uh, is uh, Suicide Squad may get more than one post-credit scene, or it could be James uh, uh, James Gunn just messing with us. So <laughs> what, what, what do you think about this? Well, uh, I get a kick out of the fact that, you know, all he has to do is, again, the letter A, and that's it with a question yeah. mark, right? Brilliant. And everybody, ah! right? Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, um, absolutely brilliant. I have to chuckle. Uh, I do see it totally making sense that he would have multiple because one, you would want to tease a potential tie into a sequel, a lead in or a direction. But then also you've got the John Cena, 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 John Cena uh, spinoff with uh, uh, Peacekeeper. So with both of those, it feels like those would be naturals. And then why not have just that extra one for comedic appeal, which he's done on so many other occasions with so many other projects. So that all, as you just said a minute ago, totally tracks. Like it totally made like, really? (laughs) This seems like the guy who would happily have five and be like, here's one you want to know about for the next thing. Here's one you want to know about this. Here's one to make you laugh. Here's one to make you question. Here's one to make you feel. (laughs) Okay. Have fun. What'd you think, man? Yeah. See, you, you brought something up that, that um, is very true, and that's that his um, those post credit scenes that he do, does they're they're more on the humorous side, and this Suicide Squad looks like it is going to have a lot of humor in it, so it does make perfect sense that these post credit scenes might be funny and you know not so much telling us what's coming next, but just kind of being silly. But we do have the Peacemaker series, so that would be a cool lead in, but. As far as that goes, we don't exactly know when that series is taking place. So if it's taking place before the Suicide Squad movie, then, um, you know, that it would be interesting to see how they would squeeze in a uh, after credit scene with that. But um, I just can't wait to see this. This is probably one of my, if not the most anticipated movies of this year. So I can't I can't wait until August. So I, if he wants to give us six after credit scenes, I will sit and watch <laughs> every one. <laughs> and uh, up next, uh, there is more buzz about the Batman Forever extended cut. Uh, so uh, are, are you uh, excited for the possibility of a Batman Forever extended cut? Would you watch it? I'd watch it. 170 minutes long. Wow. Like, yeah, I would want to get a a feel for what that's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to do differently. I mean, if there's one thing we learned from the Snyder Cut, it was just how vastly different two visions of that story were portrayed. 
and and what the meaning behind each one left audiences with. Uh, the first version of Justice League, a lot of questions, a lot of why would you do that? You know, what's wrong? What? What? And what? Snyder Cut, it was that feeling of like, oh, so that's why that was missing. And oh, look how much more sense it makes. And oh, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, you got to give me a Batman forever that's 170 minute long and includes all of that. I'm down. I'm game. I just watched Tenet um, and before that Snyder cut. So, you know, length <laughs> doesn't seem to bother me. Put on HBO Max. And like I said, I can pause. I can take restroom breaks and eat. And I I'm down. So, DC, just so you know, one viewer here ready to go. What do you think, man? Yeah, make that too. I would be. I would be totally down to watch this because I always had a soft spot for Batman Forever. Um, I didn't think it was as bad as, a, as some people thought it was. Uh, and no lie, it has one of the best soundtracks, um, probably the most underrated movie soundtrack of the 90s. So that alone uh, makes it worth watching. Uh, so I, I would uh, I would totally watch it. I You know, it just... You know that this story had those videos of the the um, cutscenes that we did get to see, and uh, I, I don't know how much it really adds to the movie. So that would make me wonder exactly, uh, you know, like you were saying how different Snyder Cut was. I don't know that this would be that different, but I would I would still definitely be willing to watch it. So yeah, come on HBO Max, put it on. Why not? I mean, if it's done and finished, why not? You got nothing to lose. Maybe you'll gain <laughs> a couple of subscribers. Who knows? So, and our last bit of movie news is: uh, looks like there still might be a sequel to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Uh, what do you think of this? Well, it's one of those challenges where. It's easy for fans, I think, to consider the direction that they would take a story after it ends. But much like we saw with uh, the ending of the Watchmen miniseries on HBO Max, the creator has to be able to see that. And when you've told such a powerfully original story, like the first Joker movie or the Watchmen series, following it up, unless the price tag is so stupid that you just don't care that you're going to ruin the legacy of the character and, and everything you built up to that point, and you just don't care about fans or anything else like that, there's going to have to be that conscientious decision that if you do this, everything about it will be measured against what came before. And if you're going to take that risk, like <laughs> you want to know, you know, you want to have that feeling of like guarantee. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Joaquin Phoenix can pull most scripts and just he's so, you know, so dedicated that he can make this happen. And he understands his character so well he could do more. But I think without that winning combination, you know, so much of what made Joker work were so many other elements that came, you know, as part of the package. The soundtrack alone, when we were just talking about soundtracks. I mean, Come on, man. <laughs> hey, how many yeah. times have we sat yeah, down and, yeah, you man, know. I, yeah, talked at length yeah. on this podcast about that score exactly. for sure. Exactly. You know, the wax poetic. And it's it's one of those things where, sure, I would imagine WB, would, would Warner Brothers, would really want to be like, hey, uh, so what do we got to do? How do we make this happen? <laughs> um, so I would imagine. Uh, 
up until now, though, it, it feels like there isn't any direction. You know, the the there is no suggestion of, yeah, we've got something. It sounds more like a, a want than um, anything that's actually been developed beyond just conversation. But I think if you brought Phillips back and he wanted it and Joaquin Phoenix agreed to what was going on and they were collaborating with the same energy from the first, I think a lot of people would get behind it. But that's going to be the metal it's tested against. You know what you did with the first one. Following that up and having it feel as genuine and authentic as the first, it's it's got to be as honest as it's uh, required or else people just won't buy it. They're, they're going to watch the first one again. They're going to <laughs> have a lot of negative responses. That's my feeling at least. What'd you think? man? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. And you know, it, it's interesting that you bring up Watchmen because I, th- I think the thing with both with Watchmen and Joker is that, like you said, the idea has to be there. Todd Phillips has to be a part of it. Damon Lindoff said that he has no desire to do a Watchmen sequel because he doesn't have an idea. Like the idea would have to present itself. And I, I think that that's the same way with, with Joker, with the Joker sequel. It would have to be something that kind of speaks to Todd Phillips in that kind of visceral, primal way that the Joker story drew, like the original Joker story drew him in. So if it's going to happen, I want I would want him involved and him writing it like he did the first. Um because we, we know that Joaquin can deliver as far as performance goes, so we don't have to worry about that. But the, the the idea and the purpose for the story has to be there because that that's just that's kind of that Joker movie is in that stratosphere of comic book movies that is kind of untouchable. So it, the, that idea has to be there. So won't say it won't happen, but, you know, you know, it's it's got to be the right circumstances. And with that, we are going to take a quick break and pay some bills and hear from some of our sponsors. Uh, So stick around. We'll be back with some TV streaming news and some comic book news. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey there, DC fans. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find. You got books, collectibles, uh, pop-up greeting cards. They have all kinds of amazing items and right now you can get 35% off site-wide by using the code DCNews35 that's DCNEWS35 DCNews35 use that code and receive 35% off site-wide at insighteditions.com This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? 
it's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? I am Kelly Gaines for DC Comics News. I am Tony Hasty for this show. And we are here to introduce our new show, DCN After Dark. This is the late night talk show for all of the wild ideas, fascinating concepts, and scandalous tales straight from the DC Universe. We are not going to hold any punches. We are going to give all of our opinions straight off the dome, and sometimes we'll be writing it down. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the sensitive ears. It is not for any children. Viewer discretion is going to be advised because we are going to be swearing a lot. Yes. Yeah. And possibly, maybe by episode five, getting to our hundredth joke. Here's <laughs> <laughs> hoping. <laughs> We're going to have guests on this show, we're going to be guests on other shows, but we're not going to finish this sentence. <laughs> off, the t- off the cuff, let's go. Off the cuff, off the cuff. Anything off, you want, anything you cuff. want. Scooby-Doo would be a better detective than Jim Gordon. There you go. That's, that is what this whole show is about. That's what the show is about. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about stuff like that. Should we have seen more of the bat? Go. No, no one had to see more of the bat. No, I didn't want to. God damn it. Look, all right. We're going to Scooby-Doo, DCN After Dark. Check us out. Watch us without your kids. And if you are a kid, you shouldn't have even seen this promo. Drink recipes, content creation, reviews, unsolicited advice, and very inappropriate jokes. Yes. And a Santa, uh, an un- unseasonable Santa hat. Except it's season, but whatever. Check us out. <laughs> Not getting rid of the Santa hat. <laughs> Available exclusively on YouTube. And moving right along with episode 117 of the DC Comics News podcast, we're going to move into some TV and streaming news. Uh, so up first, we... Uh, have uh, a first look at the new Guardian in the Supergirl series. So, uh, so what do you think of this uh, this image? It is so cool. <laughs> like, I love the Guardian armor. I always thought it was just so iconic. Takes me back to you know um, a golden age of comics, and and this feels like such a wonderful update. I I love the style. Um, I, I love the, just the, the little touches of personal, whether it's the braids. Um, and there's something about the way uh, the helmet fits uh, with her profile where it almost feels kind of like a hot girlish. So uh, I feel like it embraces a lot of uh, the best qualities in a superhero costume. Um, I also get a kick out of the fact that it's got like the two 
tactical kind of buckles for the the chest plate. Um, and I feel like there's some other fun little features built into the costume there. Like, uh, I'm not sure what exactly, but there's like some brass sort of knobs on the right hand side, like near the right hip. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that attaches something. I mean, it just feels like it's got a lot of possibilities just suggested from the photo. Um, and I love the idea of, you know, bringing in, uh, a character who's like, wow, my brother did this and I picked up the shield once and now I'm ready to pick it up again. And I want to be there. Uh, <laughs> I want to be there fighting with my girl. And um, I think there's a lot of just, you know, fun stuff it suggests for me. Yeah. Without babbling too much more about it. What do you think, man? Yeah, I I always appreciate when uh, costume is practical. And like you were saying, with the buckles and things like that, that, you know, it's it it kind of makes sense but it also is really cool because it is very much influenced by the look from the comic and like you said that was always kind of a look that i always really dug as well um so i love seeing that influence in in the look so what, what you know they they did a really good job with this design i think um so yeah so kudos gets the <laughs> the lucky fashions uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> approvals so yeah yeah i i i did like this and in uh some kind of um sadder news uh in the flash it looks like uh tom cavanaugh and uh carlos uh valdez will not will be not returning and leaving the series uh what was your take on this this is a tough one man i mean for starters uh carlos valdez he was just he was the best at naming things for starters. Um, and I love that he brought to life a really fun version of Vibe in the CW. That, that for me, was always kind of like a big winner. In fact, I, I thought they did some really interesting stuff, like having him play a superhero who gives up his powers and then creates a you know modified sort of uh, science approach to replicating them in some way. Uh, but he's also had a lot of great growth, and I, I can't wait to see what other projects he might be moving on to. Tom Cavanaugh was one of those characters who came off as such the villain and then gradually became one of a cast of likable versions of Harrison Wells that were, you know, each. I mean, I almost felt like he was auditioning for like character acting. Like he was like, look, all the different things that I can play after I'm off the show, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he did all these different versions of himself and they were all so much fun. And each one, you know added something to the story, whether it was his, you know, adventuring version who ends up playing a pivotal role in crisis to so many others. So I, I think you lose, you know, some of those great qualities when those cast members leave. But I also know that there are plenty of other characters that I would love to see join the cast in interesting ways. I mean, the fact that we've got, you know, Chester, AKA Chunk on there, who I always loved from the Wally West days and also, you know, the, the sort of growth that we've had by bringing in like a supporting character for Iris, um, who also has powers and, and different things there with uh, Joe's. Um, I think they're married. I know they got a kid. I think they're married. Um, and, and just, you know, they've done a wonderful job with who they brought into the cast. So now my brain's like, well, I remember at one point Wally would team up with Pied Piper and other times he teamed up with some other people. So who else they could bring into the cast right now would be really interesting. Um, and I'm also just always wondering when they're going to solve the Ralph Diddy problem, because at some point it's going to need to, when they brought in some moments and they've had 
elongated man appear. He's always distorted, so you know it's a different actor. <laughs> and it always yeah. feels like yeah. other strange things where you're just like, okay, they're working on some way to solve this equation. I don't know how they're going to do it. But I do like that maybe with the, the departure of two cast members, there's an opening for that storyline to be addressed in some way. If not, I think whoever they bring on, I'm going to enjoy. In fact, that that's a, a tip of the head, a nod, a tip of the hat to a story we're going to be talking about soon. What did you think about this one, Brett? Oh, man, yeah, this kind of hurts. Um, Cisco was the heart of the show in a show that already has so much heart. So Carlos Valdez leaving is that that's just uh, it's a bummer because uh, he had, so, I think I think he had so many fans of the show. I think his character was so beloved, so that'll be sad to see Cisco go. Hopefully it can be a situation where, you know, he'd, he'd be willing to come back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that that's a bummer. And it was so much fun, like you were saying, watching Ta- uh, Tom Cavanaugh play all these different versions of the character. He had so much fun with that. And it was so much fun to see him take on those different personas. So that's that's kind of a bummer, too. But, you know, I, I like your uh, your hopefulness about what other characters they can bring in. And that's true, too, because, you know, the the Flash has so many characters and such a rich history that there are a lot to draw from. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And go, moving on with some more Flash news is that we've seen some set photos uh, from uh, season seven with uh, Impulse, and we get to see a look at uh, that costume. Uh, what do you think of this? Okay, I have one complaint. His feet are too small. <laughs> Anyone who knows Impulse from the comics knows that the feet are, and the hands at some point, become ridiculously oversized. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So there's a part of me that's like, ah, comic inaccuracy, what? Um, but no, this is this is really a lot of fun. I I love, I mean, so while you were talking, there was a part of me um, forcing me to bite my lip and my tongue to keep from, like, freaking out. Because as we were talking about more characters to bring on, it was like, hey, wait a minute. You know, uh, what about Max Mercury? And I loved Max. I still, yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, Zen speed. I, I love everything about him. And so this suggestion of impulse to me says, okay, how much closer are we to Max? Like just how much closer? Because I feel like it's pretty close. <laughs> and and I would love to, to have that come in because, I mean, you know, we look at what John Wesley Ship's going to be doing, playing uh, Jay Garrick over, uh, you know, when it comes to Stargirl. And the idea of bringing in some of these classic speedsters, because if you get Max and at some point you can bring in John and Jesse quick and oh, yeah, you so, know, so many. Yeah. Right. Like it, it really feels so. I love what this suggests. And also, if they cast a, an impulse with all of that, just chaos that he brings and can really capture it. I mean, talk about a goldmine for uh flash fans because <laughs> if there's one yeah. thing that I loved about impulse. It's like, man, if, if you thought that, uh, well, if you thought other characters in the past have annoyed Barry, ooh, boy, are you in for a treat when it comes to impulse? <laughs> what did you think, man? Yeah, again, I, I uh, y- y- despite the uh, no big feet, no big hands, uh, I, I did appreciate the, you know, how influenced from the comic 
the look of this costume is. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I love how they're getting in all these speedsters. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Why not bring in all these characters? Because, um, it, it, you know, it, it's it, it hasn't lost any popularity this show so it's keeping you know keeping going and right now it's a lot of it's doing a lot of the heavy heavy lifting when it comes to the the dc shows on cw now that we don't have arrow and you know things like that so yeah i say the more characters the merrier um yeah so bring them on yeah speaking of which if you go to that picture and click on it it loads in instagram you can see actually that in uh, there's two images and the second image shows impulse and there's at least two godspeeds around him mm-hmm. one like mm-hmm. off to the left behind him and one out and so it's like oh, okay so we're, we can also look forward to godspeed coming back and one of the things that was always kind of interesting about his character is how he could create versions of himself and you know what i mean there's some mm-hmm. really rich material that they're digging into here so when i saw that i was like ooh ooh godspeed and impulse and well brad so much more coming right yeah yeah and we are still sticking with the flash news here uh jessica parker kennedy who played excess has confirmed the re- her return uh for the 150th episode with an instagram post uh so uh so seth you're the biggest flash man i know so uh what'd you make of this? <laughs> um I, I think it's awesome i i loved what uh Oh, this is one of those names where I can totally, even though it's a common spelling on everything, I can still just twist it all up and end up with like Kennedy Parker, Jessica, Jessica <laughs> Parker Kennedy. Uh, she did a wonderful job as excess. Like she made, she made it cool to say shway. Like she made it yeah. fun to, uh, <laughs> you know, have a good time. And I also love that, you know, she really, you know, like you said, in a show that has so much heart. She was just another strong heartbeat. She was this great yeah. addition who who allowed Barry to to be a little bit more, you know, uh, loving, caring, to to put his guard down a bit, to not always feel like he was <sighs> rushing to stop the next calamity, you know. And and also, I, I think her energy is perfect because that looked like her in the shots we saw of Impulse in costume. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having her come on as well and sort of be that like, hey, kid, I'm from the future, too. I wasn't raised in an artificial environment, which is if they stick with that part of the storyline, a really fun adjustment thing for, you know, impulse to understand. But also, um, you know, the fact that she is just such a fun character and I was really sad to see her go. So I love the fact that she's coming back. I'm excited to have her, you know be a part of the show and maybe be one of those returning characters for next season. Don't know for sure. I'm hoping. What'd you think, man? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but that um, her, her, her story was a gut punch in a way. So it's nice that, um, that she's coming back. So that wasn't the final word on it. Um, and, and I totally agree that she was another one of those heartbeats of the show that has a lot of heart. Uh, she had fun with the character. The character was uh, super likable uh, and important. So, yeah, I, I hope that she does come back for a regular. I'd be I'd be all for that. 
And moving on to uh, Pennyworth news, it looks like uh, Pennyworth may be moving to HBO Max. Uh, what do you think of this? Well, it almost feels like HBO Max is becoming this, you know, it's it's almost like the sister brother relative of uh, <laughs> of Netflix in that shows that disappear can find a second life, uh, a second home. Um, you know, I, I mentioned a while back on an episode you and I were doing where uh, my wife really got me into the show Warrior, which I guess had finished its run on uh, Cinemax, but then was picked up by HBO Max for additional seasons. In fact, uh, it was the same thing with Harley Quinn. It did two seasons. And then after leaving the uh, DC platform, it was a question of like, well, is it going to get picked up? And now, you know, there's the the word that HBO Max is going to be its new home. Um so here's why I also have to admit, I haven't seen season two of Pennyworth. I missed it in the mix of everything. Uh, I, I got season one because I had like some sort of pass for epics back at the beginning of last year, included with, I think, my Apple TV or something like that. So I watched it, but season two hadn't come out yet. And then when I was trying to get to it, I no longer had the access. And I was like, all right, I'm hanging out for a minute because my hope is that it would find a home on HBO Max. So this means hopefully... I can catch up on not only season two, but then also see uh, season three on there. So I'm excited for all the things I didn't get to see in Will and for the fact that this is a, a great story that I, I love. A character who I think the actor is just, you know, cemented, made their own. And the fact that we know there's a third season coming on the way and that HBO Max is clearly becoming the home for DC. These are a lot of things to be excited for. What do you think, man? Yeah, I love the idea of everything. Like, if you're a DC fan, you have one place to go where you'll know all your streaming needs are met. <laughs> like, all, all the DC shows are going to be there. So I think it makes it makes absolute perfect sense. Um, because it is a D DC show, it, it kind of belongs on on uh, HBO Max. So, yeah, I hope that that, that does work out. Um, because, yeah, I... I I, uh, I'm behind on season two as well, so um, ha if it does move to HBO Max, that might um, prompt me to get caught up quicker. It's just so hard to keep up with uh, with all the content out there these days. And you're not alone, buddy. <laughs> yep. And speaking of content, uh, uh, a show that's a favorite of us here on the podcast, Stargirl, has been renewed for season three. Uh, what was your take? Oh, this is so exciting. I mean, come on. Like, you guys already had me with the John Wesley ship announcement, and Jay Garrick and all that. Like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> Before season two even debuts, you know. That's one thing that I, I, I do love when you hear that kind of news, because it tells me that what you're seeing during production and what they're getting in those dailies and stuff like that is enough for them to go, yeah. All right. Yeah, we, we, we got it. Not only that, but you're comparing against – last year's numbers which were huge the reason you went with two so you're matching that up against the quality of what season two is looking like and you're like yeah season three done done stamp let's i mean i, I love that feeling it, it says to me like dude just hang out maybe watch season one again and re get ready because <laughs> august 10th it's it's coming up fast and there's a lot of good stuff to enjoy uh what do you think man uh yeah i think that I think that you're absolutely right that they see what season two is shaping up like. So they 
know that it's good enough to already put in for a season three. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not familiar with how far ahead these productions are, but if they had, you know, if they aren't quite done with season two yet, knowing that they will have a season three that can free up so much as far as writing and cliffhangers and things like that, because you'll know you'll be back. You won't have to worry about wrapping things up. So that will be fun to see if they can, you know, have fun with that and uh, give us a chance to really dive into some of those JSA characters. So I, I'm super excited for uh, for season two. And season one was you know, so good and so much better than I thought it was going to be. So yeah, I, I'm I'm completely down for for a third season, fourth season, fifth season of uh, of Star Girl. And moving on to uh, Titans, we've got some uh, set photos from season three of Arkham Asylum. Uh, what do you think of these? Few things in the world are as terrifying as Arkham Asylum. I, I don't care which version it is. I don't care if it's cleaned up and nice looking like in Kingdom Come and it's turned into this like positive healing. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> even these pictures in daylight feel just ominous. Like already I'm like, yep, but picture it at night, man. Just picture it at night. I love the iconic gate. Um, I think that's brilliant. I, I love the detail that they show in these from the uh, vehicles and uh the, the insignias, um, I, I think overall, they're sort of like really just setting us up for that gritty feeling. Um, and that's one thing that Titans has really introduced is like, sure, th- this was a teenage team and some of them still are teenagers. But man, this is not teenage stuff they're dealing with. There's some seriously scary, dangerous, like Scarecrow is not a lighthearted dude. He is not. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a guy who spends his days figuring out how to use fear to weaponize it in some way. So, yeah, man, Um, overall, this felt like one of those things where you're like, this is going to get bad before it gets better and it's going to get ugly and there's going to be some scare. Like, I'm okay with being afraid. I'm okay with that. And if it happens, hey, I'm only human. What do you think, man? Yeah, one of the the fun things about titans for me is they they try to cramp so much in a season and they do it so well that uh i I like seeing these photos think oh we're getting arkham asylum we're getting this we're getting that and and just kind of wondering how they're gonna pull it all together and this season it looks like it's gonna be um you know cramped full of a lot of good stuff and a lot of character development because you know we're going to be getting you know like the red hood and it looks like everything that starfire is going to have to confront is going to be a lot of character development on that end and the whole world loves anything associated with batman so arkham and more batman focus on the season is going to you know make a lot of fans happy so yeah this this season three could be a lot of fun and uh kind of bat related news and batwoman we've got our first look at uh stephanie brown in the batwoman series so what do you think of this i think um it was just a matter of time i think fans are going to be going nuts for the fact that they're getting this hint and uh you know i mean if you love spoiler, you're going to love spoiler in Batwoman. It's just the way it is. Uh, 
and you also get the great way of starting things off with, uh, you know, the uh, the character that she's connected to, the Clue Master, and and watching that version, this version of that story take place on Batwoman, could introduce some really, you know, fun ideas and maybe some characters that fans have also been longing to see that are hoping maybe the introduction of Stephanie Brown means, you know, a Robin or two makes an appearance. What do you think, man? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I thought I was familiar with the character, but I have to ask what's with the, the, like the tattoos or the writing on her in that picture. I, um, now I'm not a hundred percent about that part of okay, the character. Cause I didn't know if there was something I didn't like, know about. Okay. Okay. No, when I was looking at it, the one thing that stuck out with me is that it looked like it was something to do with whatever the current plot line is. Like, yeah, okay. you know, she wakes up with henna tattoos or or that this is part of it. If this is something that's already been established in, you know, the, the character's legacy or whatever, I'm not as familiar with it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a huge Batman fan at the time when she popped on and, and know, like, her first introduction to the character as she is now. But when I saw it, I was like, well, if that's Clue Master, I'm going to guess it's a clue. Uh, <laughs> and that's yeah. really about yeah. as far as I took okay. it. But no. okay. Hey, I, uh, I, Steve, where are you at? Because <laughs> yeah. I realized when I saw that picture in those tattoos, I realized that as far as the comics, I haven't seen a lot of her out of costume. So I wasn't sure if I missed something or not. But uh, yeah, the, the second season of of Batwoman has been a lot of fun as well. So, uh, and, and I think I agree with you that she's the perfect character to bring in. It, it just fits so well. So yeah, this this will be a lot of fun. Um, it, it, it just goes back to that thing that we always say, it's a great time to be a DC fan. All these characters that we've read for years have are finally now getting, you know, these live action versions that that people can be exposed to who don't even read the comics. It's just it's just fun to to be in this moment as a comic book fan to see all that. And it uh, looks like for our last bit of TV news, uh, we've gotten a little. Um, Synopsis for the Black Lightning series finale. Uh, so, uh, what do you think of this? Well, I think any news um, about Black Lightning is always going to be exciting. You know, I, I feel like this is a uh, a story that has really pushed, you know, so many different ideas. Most recently, with the Markovian War, and and the whole concept of using weaponized people as soldiers controlling them, harvesting, you know, their genetic uh, material in order to use in other ways. Uh, some really, you know, powerful characters um, who've presented some really interesting challenges, you know, and, and it was something that was driving a wedge between Jefferson, his wife, the family. So I, I love the concept that now they're talking about what does it mean to go back to the family trying to heal after something as destructive as the Markovian War was for their family, for the town where they live, for uh, also, I, I think, what it means to sort of like go through a trauma and how do you come out on the other side? I mean, not to get like too ridiculously serious, but when you you hear stories about people who lose a loved one, lose a child to a, tra you know, a tragic incident, um, deal with like the struggles that come with occupation and other factors, 
relationships, they change drastically because of that in unimaginable ways, unexpected, unanticipated. So seeing how the family and the town, you know, um, how Freeland's able to pick up the pieces and also what a new normal looks like. I, I think it's a great opportunity to do that, but also it's something we can all relate to because we're all trying to get back to a new normal in our own lives. And I think uh, mirroring that through uh, the shared experience of recovery and going through a challenge like the Markovian War meant for the Black Lightning storyline, um, I think it's a good way. If you're going to have to have a season finale, this is a good way, or a series finale, sorry, this is a good way to do. What do you think? Yeah, one of the things that I always really loved about the Black Lightning series is how it just so focused on family. Uh, it was, that was such the, the, like the spotlight and the focus for me for the show was how, how that family interacted and dealt with things. And the, the idea of family dealing with trauma, I mean, I think that all families deal with trauma and uh, it's a very relevant topic these days. So, you know, I, I think that that makes sense to to see how this family that we've stuck with for four season deals with this level of trauma. Like you said, the the aftermath of the Markovian War, things like that. So, yeah, I I I do have a feeling that this is going to be very emotional um, because there there has been a lot of character development. The characters have been through a lot through these four seasons. So seeing them all stick together and kind of you know go off into that sunset is going to be uh it's going to be very um sad in a way but um it, it's going to make for some great tv so I, I it's sad to see the show go but i think it's definitely going to be going out on a high on a high note so uh yeah you'll be missed uh black lightning but we have four you know four really great seasons of tv and with that, we are going to take another ad um, break before we uh, jump into the comic book news. So stick around and we'll be right back. Hey there, DC fans. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News, here to give you a special deal from Insight Editions. Insight Editions is an amazing company who uh, sells books and collectibles uh, from all sorts of pop culture, whether it be DC Comics, Marvel Comics, uh, movies like Die Hard, Harry Potter, Alien, everything out there in the world you can you can find. You got books, collectibles, uh, pop-up greeting cards. They have all kinds of amazing items. And right now, you can get 35% off site-wide by using the code DCNEWS35. That's DCNEWS35. 35 DC News 35 use that code and receive 35% off site-wide at insighteditions.com First there was the DC Comics News podcast then came the Spitter Rack and now the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned I and the night a story about the stories a show celebrating batman 
the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode, just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and battle me, Nards. I definitely do not f*** that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. And now we are going to talk uh, some comic book news. Uh, we've talked some movie and TV streaming, so this is the source material for all of that, the comic book news. So up first, uh, we've got some news about a Crush and Lobo uh, limited series. Uh, so what do you think of this, Seth? You going to pick this up? It's really easy to see it, making it on my list. I mean, for starters, the covers are great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Second, Crush is one of those characters that brought a lot of humor, a lot of uh, what you got from, uh, well, he, he was Changeling and he was Beast Boy. But, you know, Gar was always the best at being that comedic sort of feeling. And I always felt like Crush, for all the smash, crush, you know, pound stuff, was also just like this great sort of acerbic wit on top of um, you know, some really interesting development as she learned to love, as she learned what it was like to deal with someone like Lobo, who trounced the whole team at one point, and impressively so. But then also like seeing these two together where, I mean, they're, they're so clearly opposite. And yet, at the same time, I feel like they're both going to be, you know, these great influences on each other about teaching each other things, about what it means to try and be something you know other than what people look at and expect you to be but I, I also love the fact that you know okay so relationships kind of on the rocks and things are kind of tough and you know the last person you probably want to hang out with right now is Lobo but then again there he is plus dude really Mariko Tamaki like she's blown me away recently I mean I've loved her stuff previously 
but some of the stories I've been reading about, you know, that she's been doing recently have just blown me away. Absolutely. I mean, really, <laughs> I could just keep sort of the, 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 but I think this is a great one. I love these covers. And I think when it was first announced, I was like, ah, oh, this is cool. And now I can say it's getting a lot cooler. I could definitely see, you know, yeah, I could see it happening. It just might. What about you, man? Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this. Uh, I've always, you know, I, I like <laughs> I like Crush better than Lobo. So um, maybe when they interact, it'll cause me to like Lobo a little more. So um, and I, I think that there is definitely a lot of fun stuff that can happen between the two. And uh, yeah, and Tamaki, I mean, it's it's. I can't wait to see uh, see what she does. And yeah, you're right. The covers I loved. Uh, <laughs> seeing her bite me fanboy <laughs> jacket. I, <laughs> I haven't seen that phrase in so long. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> so that was kind of uh, that was kind of a fun throwback. But yeah, I think this I think the series uh, can be a lot of fun. So uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll probably be picking this up. So the uh, jacket gets the uh, Felicky Fashions approval? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I might have to see if I can find one on eBay. <laughs> or make one. <laughs> Etsy? Anyone out there on Etsy yeah. going to help us out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and up next, we, uh, we've gotten a look uh, and some details about uh, DC Pride number one, uh, the Pride issue that's coming out in June, and some info on some of the variant covers that are coming out for Pride Month. Uh, would you uh, would you make of this? These are downright like smooth covers. I mean, oh wow! <laughs> the first one is just cool and classy. Like it's just a great comic book cover. It's it's lock stock, great comic book cover, everything to love about it. And that's easy. But, uh, man, the second one, it's got that great, like, splay of light behind it. Um, I love that there's this sinister sort of shadowed figure in the background there. It kind of reminds me of uh, someone we've seen recently in Batman. But overall, I I just got a kick out of, like, these two really different takes on the covers. And, I mean... They both look amazing. I would I would happily add them to my collection. I know this is going to be on my list. I know I'm going to enjoy it. I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, just what this suggests. And it looks like there's some, you know, great stories inside that, you know, these little images that they include with it and these uh, suggestions and feelings that are that are offered. Um, man, great titles too. love life uh you know and so many others this is some really i mean trust me if if you're curious about whether or not this is something you want to pick up take a look at these images get back to me if you've already bought five i'll understand you're you're with someone who understands what about you man you know yeah i i I love these covers and one thing about these covers i'm just reminded of you know how really cool the dc uh lgbtq lgbtq characters are like apollo and midnighter batwoman adam scott i mean you know poison ivy and harley i mean these characters are 
uh, very cool. I mean, there's been some great Apollo Midnighter stories, great Batwoman stories. So, and the teams on these, this book is going to be, you know, just incredible. So yeah, this is going to be, um, uh, definitely one that you should want in your collection. I think, uh, you know, I think that this is just an, an incredible lineup of talent and characters. So yeah, this, this, um, yeah, this, it's going to be something that you're going to want to pick up for sure. And moving on, uh, now it looks like, uh, James Stinian says that um, he has always thought of himself as a horror writer in uh, an article that is promoting uh, the Nice House on the Lake series that's hitting in, uh, I believe, uh, June. Uh, what'd you take of the, what'd you make of this? Yeah, so James Tynion convinced me of this with his Something is Killing the Children. Um, and that and Department of Truth, both of those are horror suspense. Oh, you games. had dogs, I have sirens. <laughs> hey! Okay. <laughs> a little something to add to the atmosphere, everyone. Just a little something. But yeah, man, his 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 understanding of suspense and horror, I, I think, has already been captured in some of his other works. I mean, look at what he's doing with Scarecrow right now. I mean, come on, <laughs> that guy. So the nice house on the lake just sounds like him taking it up to that Joan, uh, Joe Hill sort of uh, degree, you know, like, okay, let's invite a bunch of people out. Let's put them on a beautiful lake setting. And then let's get a little creepy. Let's get a little weird. Um, I had a little bit of trouble with some of the uh, pages uh, being able to like blow them up uh, enough where I could sort of grasp some hints of the story. But I do plan on pulling this up on the old uh, laptop later and taking a closer look. What I do love is the fifth image is this really gorgeous cover shot with uh, the title or maybe it's just a splash page, but it's the title with all the uh, credits beneath it. That's a gorgeous shot. I would buy that issue for that alone. It's just, yeah. you know, idyllic. And yet also, why is it always the idyllic places? It seemed like the perfect settings for horror stories. What do you think about this man? You grabbing it? Yeah. Well, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's funny that he, he says he always thought of himself as a horror writer. Well, so have I, <laughs> I've always thought of him as a horror writer. <laughs> um, because like you were saying, like the stuff he's doing with Scarecrow, uh, something's killing the children. Uh, you know, so it just the stuff he did with justice league dark, it, it all had to me, I always felt that it had a horror feel. And yeah, this is, this is definitely one that, um, is up there with my most anticipated comics of the year. Like Suicide Squad is one of the most anticipated movies. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm super psyched, super psyched for this one. And uh, looks like our last bit of news for this week is that uh, the Conjuring series at DC will uh, set up the Conjuring three. So, uh, what do you make of this? This is a creepy comic. Uh, go to the third image if you haven't. And just check out that horizontal four-panel sort of progression. And you will never want to be in a library that late at night ever. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just one of those like haunting 
images. Um, I love the idea of using this to tee up a movie and and sort of like suggesting like, hey, there's some stuff that the comic's going to tell you that the movie won't, and you want the full story. This is how you get the complete package. Um, granted, you know, so often uh, a project can stand alone uh, or stand on its own, but that doesn't mean there isn't the fun to be had in delving into other elements of the story that you can't always put together in an hour or two hour movie. Even if you go three hours, there's still like, I recently decided to just knuckle down and watch Dune, which I had never watched and finally did. And I totally get what everyone was saying. Like, yeah, it's an intellectual uh, project, but also it's trying to capture this massive book and slam it into two hours. And it simply can't be done. Like there's so much you're trying to reference that you haven't even given context for. So I love that, you know, for something like the conjuring, it's like, Hey, I can't cover all this in the movie, but here I can do it here in this comic and then set up for it. And the comic looks not only gorgeous, but creepy. And if you're looking for scary stuff, it seems like DC is the place for you to go. Nice house on the lake, conjuring the lover. I mean, I don't know. You could ask for more, but I'm not that greedy. Brad, what'd you think? Man? Yeah, I, I think DC is doing a really good job of you know, revolutionizing the, uh, the horror comic. Uh, it hasn't, I, in my mind, I don't think there's been so many good horror comics on the market as there have been in the past few years between, you know, certain things like something is killing the children, but also the Hill House comics, uh, you know, the, the Quiet House on the Lake and this series. I think that, um, yeah, there's some really good horror coming comics coming. And I think DC is really leading that charge. So, uh, yeah, and I think it does um makes sense like you were saying like you were saying like there's ways to expand and i hope that speaking of expanding that i hope that this imprint they will expand other franchises which is something i think we talked about either last week or the week before when this was originally announced how many cool horror franchises are out there that dc could you know somehow use and and do these comics with so yeah i'm looking forward to this and dune yeah i'm right (laughs) i'm right with you there on dune i i have told myself now that it's on uh i believe it's hbo max that i will watch it before the new version comes out (laughs) (laughs) yeah man i had to do that and i never actually knuckled down and done 2001 space odyssey So I finally bit the bullet on both of those while my wife was traveling. And I was kind of like, no one can harass me about this. No one's, you know what I mean? Like, no one's going to need me during this time that I choose to watch these movies. And I went for both of them in like a day and a half, two days. Um, (laughs) um, And, you know, once you're done, you get it. Like, you get what all these sort of things people allude to whenever you hear people talk about. And you're like, oh, what are they talking about with all this stuff? Like, once you see it, you're like... I get it. I see the good and the bad, and I get why everyone says what they do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think that that these horror comics are some of the coolest things that DC is producing right now. So Really? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, like, they really sort of, like, just recognize. It's almost like they, at some point, for whatever reason, decided to push in the horror direction and anthology. And they were like, wow, coming up like gold everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I stop. Superman, red and blue, Batman, black and white, Harley, black, red, red, white. You know, who knows what else? Uh, (laughs) I mean, let's go. It went back as far as those 
giant issues. Oh yeah. I mean, that's that where I think that all nice. that all began. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. What a great so time, that, huh? Yeah, what a great yeah. list. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that was a that was a lot of news this week. A lot of a lot of stuff to be excited for. And that wraps up yet another episode of the DC Comics News uh, podcast. Uh, we uh, we can be found wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts: uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Where wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find us. And uh, Seth, where can people find you? You can find me right here with the best group of people you're gonna find just about anywhere. I'm, I'm just going to say that. You can find me here hanging out with Brad and all of our other co-hosts on the uh, weekly podcast. You can find me hosting the Spinner Rack. And, uh, yeah, find me here. Come say hi. Brad, how about you? Yeah, you can find me uh, writing news reviews for DC Comics News. You can find me here on the DC Comics News podcast and part of the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast. And you can follow me on uh, Twitter at FlickyB1. And also be sure to, like Seth mentioned, check out our other uh, podcasts that are part of the uh, DC Comics News podcast network, including uh, Spinner Rack. Uh, and uh, I Am the Night, which is a episode-by-episode breakdown of the Batman animated series hosted by our, our uh, good friend uh, Steve J. Ray. And you can uh, visit us on YouTube to check out uh, DC After Dark, hosted by uh, our, uh, our own uh, Kelly Gaines. So, yeah, yeah, check us out. Uh, leave some comments. Let us know what you think. Uh, subscribe. And with that, we'll leave you with... Uh, a phrase uh, that uh, is something that everyone should be doing uh, these days, and that is to read more comics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next week, everyone. Have a good one. Bye, everybody.